Hi everyone, welcome back to the MedBullet Step 1 podcast. In today's episode, we cover the topic of airflow, pressure, and resistance found under the respiratory section at medbullets.com. Let's begin by discussing airflow, pressure, and resistance. This can be remembered with the equation Q is equal to delta P divided by R. This implies that airflow is directly proportional to the pressure difference between the mouth and nose, which is at atmospheric pressure, and the alveoli, and that airflow is inversely proportional to airway resistance. The formula for airway resistance is R is equal to 8 times eta times L divided by pi times R to the fourth power, where eta is the viscosity of inspired air, L refers to the length of the airway, and R refers to the radius of the airway. So total resistance depends on the aggregate cross-sectional area of a zone, and remember that this is highest in the bronchi between the 4th and 8th generations of branching. Now let's discuss changes in airway resistance. Remember that changes in airway diameter provide the major mechanism for altering airway resistance and airflow. This is controlled by the autonomic nervous system. In terms of the sympathetic stimulation, remember that bronchial smooth muscle is innervated by sympathetic adrenergic nerve fibers. So sympathetic stimulation leads to activated beta-2 receptors, which leads to relaxation, which leads to an increase in airway diameter and a decrease in resistance to airflow. So beta-2 agonists such as epinephrine, isoproterenol, and albuterol relax the bronchial smooth muscle and dilate the airway in the treatment of asthma. In terms of parasympathetic stimulation, remember that bronchial smooth muscle is innervated by parasympathetic cholinergic nerve fibers. So parasympathetic stimulation leads to activation of the muscarinic receptors. This leads to constriction, which leads to a decrease in airway diameter and an increase in resistance to airflow. Now let's discuss pulmonary vascular resistance. This can be remembered with the formula PVR is equal to the pressure at the pulmonary artery minus the pressure at the left atrium divided by the cardiac output. And remember that the pressure at the left atrium is equal to the pulmonary capillary wedge pressure. Now that we've discussed the major points relating to airflow, pressure, and resistance, let's walk through some questions to apply what we've learned and get a sense of how the topic might be tested. For the first question, consider the following clinical scenario. A scientist is studying the physiology of the airway in order to determine where maximum resistance occurs. She believes that this region is likely the area of most turbulent airflow in ventilator-dependent quadriplegic patients. Therefore, she hopes to improve respiratory function in these patients by selectively modulating the dynamics of this area. In which of the following airway segments will the highest total aggregate resistance be found? And the answer choices are, choice one, alveoli, choice two, bronchi, choice three, bronchioles, choice four, terminal bronchioles, or choice five, trachea. The best answer to this question is, choice two, bronchi. The region of highest airway resistance within the respiratory system corresponds with the region of lowest aggregate cross-sectional area. In humans, this region is the intermediate and small bronchi between the 4th and 8th generations of branching. Remember that this refers to the number of times that the airway has branched from the trachea. Airway resistance, or R, can be defined as R is equal to 8 eta L divided by pi R to the 4th, where eta is the viscosity of inspired air, L is the length of the airway, and R is the radius of the airway. This formula demonstrates that resistance is inversely proportional to the fourth power of the airway radius such that small changes in the radius can dramatically alter resistance. Therefore, while small airways have the highest individual resistance, 
The total resistance of a respiratory region is determined by the total cross-section of that zone. For example, even though terminal bronchioles are extremely small, there are over 30,000 of these structures, so the aggregate cross-sectional area is relatively large. In aggregate, the intermediate to small bronchi between the 4th and 8th generations of branching have the smallest total cross-sectional area and thus have the highest resistance. Each level of branching down from the trachea represents a single generation. This physiology is clinically important because bronchodilators can be used to decrease resistance and improve respiratory function in patients with bronchospastic disease, such as asthma. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice 1. Alveoli do not have the highest resistance because they are both extremely numerous and have a relatively large radius to allow for air exchange. The collapse of alveoli can decrease the total cross-sectional area, but this process is usually not limiting except for in infants with neonatal respiratory distress syndrome. Alveoli are the location of gas exchange within the lung. Choices 3 and 4. Bronchioles are the smallest airways and have the highest individual resistances. However, the resistance of an entire region depends on the aggregate cross-sectional area of all the airways in that zone. Though an individual bronchial may be small, the fact that there are over 30,000 of them means that the aggregate cross-sectional area is actually quite large, leading to lower resistance. Choice 5. The trachea is the largest airway in the body, and thus it has the largest radius. Resistance is inversely proportional to the fourth power of the radius, so a larger radius would lead to a lower resistance. Finally, a bullet summary. Airway resistance increases as the aggregate cross-sectional area decreases, and it is highest in the bronchi between the fourth and eighth generations of branching, which refers to the number of times that the airway has branched from the trachea. For the second question, consider the following clinical scenario. A 17-year-old boy is brought in by paramedics to the emergency department. He was found down at a family picnic. The boy's parents state that he tried many new foods at the picnic. Additionally, because it is springtime, many insects were out while he was playing football. His temperature is 99.5 degrees Fahrenheit, or 37.5 degrees Celsius. Blood pressure is 127 over 68. Pulse is 120 beats per minute. Respirations are 33 breaths per minute. And oxygen saturation is 84% on room air. Physical exam is notable for tachycardia and very minimal breath sounds bilaterally. No jugular venous distension is noted, and an abdominal exam is within normal limits. Which of the following best describes an effect of the best next step in management? And the answer choices are, choice one, decrease serum potassium. Choice two, equilibration of environmental and chest cavity pressure. Choice three, hypoglycemia. Choice four, increase systemic vascular resistance. Or choice 5, neuroprotective in the fetus. The best answer to this question is, choice 1, decrease serum potassium. This patient is presenting with what seems to be an acute asthma exacerbation as revealed by his bilateral poor air movement, poor oxygenation, and symptoms that begin in the springtime with exercise. The best initial step in management is an albuterol nebulizer, which can decrease serum potassium levels. Asthma typically presents in a patient with a history of atopic triad, which is asthma, seasonal allergies, and eczema. Symptoms typically include shortness of breath and wheezing on physical exam. However, in severe cases, the airways can clamp down so tightly that even wheezing is not heard and is replaced by poor air movement or absent breath sounds. The best initial step in management is a beta-2 agonist given continuously such as an albuterol nebulizer. 
Bronchial smooth muscle is innervated by sympathetic adrenergic nerve fibers that cause dilation through beta-2 receptors. By giving a beta-2 agonist, the airways dilate, allowing better ventilation. Similarly, this beta-2 agonism also pushes potassium intracellularly and can be used as an adjunct treatment in cases of hyperkalemia. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice 2. Equilibration of environmental and chest cavity pressure describes needle decompression, which would be the appropriate management in attention pneumothorax. These patients would have a unilateral absence of breath sounds, a history of trauma, and distended neck veins. Choice 3. Hypoglycemia is not caused by beta-2 agonist, but rather it can cause hyperglycemia. Choice 4. Increased systemic vascular resistance describes epinephrine, which would be given in cases of anaphylaxis, which presents with hypotension, tachycardia, and bronchoconstriction secondary to antigen exposure. This would not be appropriate management of an asthma exacerbation. Choice 5. Neuroprotective in the fetus describes magnesium, which is sometimes given in asthma exacerbations as magnesium is thought to aid in bronchodilation. There is less evidence for this intervention, and it would not be the best initial step in management. Finally, a bullet summary. Acute asthma attacks are best managed with albuterol, which causes dilation through beta-2 receptor agonism. That's all for this review about airflow, pressure, and resistance. We hope that was helpful. This is the MedBullets Step 1 podcast, a daily audio review session from MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. As a reminder, you can follow along with these podcast episodes by reviewing the topics directly on MedBullets.com. You can listen to these episodes on the MedBullets website or phone app while reading through the topic. If the MedBullets podcast has been valuable to you, we'd be thrilled if you consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow, right here, on the MedBullets Step 1 podcast.